Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, the only place your computer needs to be set. Well, almost the only place. I, <laughs> I'd like to share with you that this week I, um, I decided, starting last Shabbos, to make a concerted effort to improve my Hebrew, and I realized that I just listen and I read, and I know and communicate with English speakers. I listen to English, I write in English, I read in English, and I live in Israel, and I do speak Hebrew, but it's a kind of superficial Hebrew. And I thought to myself, I'm going to really improve my Hebrew, and I started to listen to the Israeli news, because you know what? It is a different heartbeat. And I found out just two days of listening to the news Uh, understanding some of it more than I probably thought. I was using words in Hebrew conversations that I haven't used ever, ever. So you know what? The mind really is a muscle. That brain is a muscle that needs to be exercised. And it makes perfect sense. If you're listening to this show, you are really a brain health addict. Okay. (laughs) So the week that was, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, anything, let me just preface and say anything on this show that interests you, that you want to take issue with, that you'd like to actually know the sources for my material, because I don't make up a lot of stuff, uh, certainly not in this show, (laughs) in my private life, I make up everything, but, um, happy to just drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and happy to send you links, send you opinions and read your Um, your thoughts, your opinions, and your ideas for how to make our weekly meeting even better. I just got this in my feed. I was about to go on the air, and this came in, let's see, it seems to be a Reuters article, but don't, yeah, it's a Reuters article. Um, It says that in this U.S. midterm, an exit poll seems to indicate that more and more Jewish voters are moving towards the GOP. That's the Republican Party. And I know that uh, those of us who are sort of armchair observers of American politics, the way everybody, everybody listening to this show is minimally an armchair observer of Israeli politics, this is very interesting Um, Certainly unexpected, and the number is up from 30% in 2020 and uh, only 24% in 2016, and it seems to be the highest number, let me see where I saw that line, the highest number of Republican Jewish voters in... um, in a very long time. And what I was, I was sort of fascinated. I found it interesting as a native New Yorker. I really expected that Lee Zeldin would win from all of my reading, but maybe my reading's biased because I tend to read things that I like to read and not things that I don't. But I really thought that he was going to um, win the election for the gubernatorial slot. 
He did not, but 85 to 95% of Hasidim, um, or what is inaccurately referred to as ultra-Orthodox Jews in the neighborhoods of Borough Park and Williamsburg, voted for him over the Democratic incumbent, uh, Kathy Hochul. I just find that very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> got a fun note. We're not going to go there. So I just find that interesting. Keep our eyes open. Um, I've always said that that um, Judaism is actually very, 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 very conservative leaning, much more so, although deeply compassionate. And there's arguments for both sides of the aisle for why Jews are so passionate for their parties. I want to go over, somebody sent me something, and I like this a lot, and I'm going to just read it as I got it. Well, I got it with a lot of, you know, emoticons and stuff like that. But I want to know what you think about this. Last week, um, those who are terribly, terribly disappointed in the outcome of the Israeli elections, because they very much see Israel as this, you know, they really want to see us as this kind of middle of the road, uh, touchy-feely democracy, and without taking into consideration the realities that we face. So it's somebody just said to me very simply, Israeli Jews voted in a free and democratic election last Tuesday. By the way, 71% of the Israelis voted. I think it was the highest, I don't even know, since 1981, 1993. It was the highest showing um, of voting, 71%. Israeli Jews voted in this free and democratic election. Israeli Arabs voted in a free and democratic election last week. What we refer to as the Palestinians in Gaza, they didn't vote. You know why? Hamas didn't let them. These so-called Palestinians in what is referred to as the West Bank, they didn't vote. You know why? The Palestinian Authority, our peace partners, didn't let them. So stop wringing your hands. It was a free and open and accurate election. And we'll talk a little bit more um, about American hysteria, U.S. hysteria over the Israeli elections versus the Israeli reality. Um, and now we're kind of, uh, well, came across something else. I remember years and years and years ago, the psychologist, very, very well known, certainly in Israel, I think in the Jewish world, um, I don't know where she is these days, but Miriam Adahan used to talk. I remember back in the 1980s, I was very moved, the 80s and the 90s, where she would speak, Dr. Miriam Adahan said, stop wishing for our children to be brilliant. We all want, my, my, my son is so brilliant. He's a genius. He's off the charts. Because, and, and she would go into, she wrote a lot about this. She said, let's strive for children that are ordinary that function, that live accurate, moral, decent, community-oriented lives. Came across a beautiful poem by a poet called William Martin. I'm a little bit embarrassed. I do not know William Martin. And I did change one line, took a little literary license because <laughs> it's my show. But anyway, um, I'd like to ask you what you think about this poem that spoke so, it spoke very deeply to me as both a mother and a grandmother. It says, do not ask your children to strive. 
Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it's the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when people they love die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. spoke to me a lot. To me, that poem was intrinsically Jewish. Okay, let's see. Do we want to be, do we want to get started with James Sinkinson right now? Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay, yeah. So the U.S., maybe we'll bring this over into the next part of the show. But apparently, the U.S. hysteria over Israel, Israel's elections, according to um, pundit James Sinkinson, shows more chutzpah than wisdom. And he writes that if Americans actually shared the Israeli daily experience, they might better understand why Israeli voters in record numbers, as I have said, overwhelmingly elected a right-wing government. And it seems that far more than American non-Jews, American Jews have expressed terrible dismay at last week's election. You know, they seem to believe that Israel has been transformed. I have heard the word used again and again, and please don't take this out of context, into a fascist, a semi-fascist state. <laughs> and I love this. He says, New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, not a friend, clutching his pearls, shrieked that the Israel we know is gone. Thomas Friedman always was talking about an Israel that he wished. And again, they don't live in the Jewish state. A lot of Americans can't understand, especially since so many Americans vote in a very, very liberal manner. They cannot understand why Israelis voted for parties that they have hysterically misinterpreted as um, right wing and reactionary. But if they shared the Israeli daily experience, they might understand why Israeli voters um, overwhelmingly elected Benjamin Netanyahu's right-wing Likud party, and several further right parties that are predicted to govern with him. Okay, uh, I'm not going to go over what's happened in the last few, few months, really few months. The Arab drivers running over Jews, axing Jews in the street. But you know what? Why have Israeli Jews come to take a harder line on the, on the Arab um, violence than American Jews? because it's happening outside of our front door. If you don't live here, if you don't read our headlines, you're not gonna feel it. If you don't get goosebumps singing Hatikva, you're not gonna feel it. Israeli values are very, very conservative values. And when we come back, we may talk a little bit more about the chutzpah just as Americans don't want to hear Israelis opining about their elections, shh, I'll speak more about this on the other side.
are back. We are back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You know, this show is, if nothing else, it is real. Real. I tell you, I tell you that my husband criticizes my Hebrew, and I sit and I listen to uh, Israeli Hebrew radio day and night. And um, I have to tell you that in, I, look, we work on a time thing here. And even though we try to make it sound very, very casual, I watch the clock as we do the show. And sometimes I'm racing along and I don't really say the exact thing that's in my belly, the exact thing that I want to share. And we do this thing with labeling. We're very quick to label, and especially in this immediate world, the Instagram world, the Facebook world, the, what's that other one? Um, Tweet, Twitter. Um, And there's more, there's more, there's more stuff. We tend to, I mean, there's kids who's, who was it? My son said to me recently, I have a son who's like extremely progressive. Oh, TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I have a son who lives in this very uh, progressive environment, Tel Aviv environment. And he told me, he does not agree with this, that there is actually a movement that says that children today don't really need to read. They don't need to learn how to read. Anything they want can be, I don't even know if the word is transliterated into dialogue, into speech. They can see everything. They can hear everything. The art of, you know, it all races so fast. I remember seeing a meme. It was very funny. It said, imagine that we could use cursive. Those of us of a certain generation, we could write to one another in cursive and the kids think it's code. So back to my, <laughs> the realness of this show. I too was bombarded with visions of the middle ground Israel. And then there's the Israeli left. They call it the center left, the center right. And then there's the radical right, the far right. And um, just the same way as I always preface when I talk about um, um, Haredi Jews and Hasidic Jews, and they they use this term ultra-Orthodox Jew. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Can somebody be ultra moral and then like middle of the ground moral, semi moral, left of moral? I don't know. And I remember getting very confused because I thought that I knew who I was going to vote for, but I didn't want to be a knee jerk voter. And I deliberately, I found myself closing my eyes and giving a little wince when I thought of um, Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gavir and thinking, you know, but I'm really much more of a middle-of-the-ground person and these guys are far right. And then I read Itamar Ben-Gavir's platform before the election. I'm not taking the time on this show. It's findable. You want to know it, write to me. I have it. And as I read his platform, I thought of my late father, certainly not a radical. I thought about me raising my children. I thought about the Israel to where I made Aliyah. Is that English? There was nothing, nothing other than a a cry for morality, a cry for decency, a cry for for values, simplicity, a cry for Sabbath observance and celebrating the Jewish experience in the Jewish state. 
And I will tell you right now behind this microphone, there was also a, 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 a cry, a call out to our Arab citizens to join with us for family values and a rejection of radicalism and rage and that which is poisoning the existence of all of us. I was shocked. Sometimes it's worth it to do the research and find out that what you're lambasting and the broad brush which you are painting ideas, people, theories, countries is actually incorrect. And I promise you, there's no greater joy than finding out that you are wrong to the betterment of society. And um, that was really, I had a quite a dilemma, quite a dilemma, but it was a healthy dilemma. It was a dilemma of, it was a dilemma that would in the end, hopefully celebrate Israel. And as I say, my father's Israel. Okay, so just to finish up with the idea of um, the idea of people perceiving overseas our election, I promise you that our our democracy. Oh, by the way, I didn't know this. Israel is ranked. I came across this the twenty third most successful democracy on earth. I'm not offering a value judgment on democracy here, but the twenty third most successful democracy on earth, scoring higher than even the United States. Our electoral process is certainly fodder for great late night comedians, but nevertheless, it is secure and it is, here's your word, boys and girls, inclusive. Our government functions reliably. It is there for us. It hears the complaints, it hears the screams, and we are active participants. Our political culture in Israel is undoubtedly vibrant, but I promise you that it protects civil liberties um, and has the highest degree of community participation. And as I said last week, there is not one secular Jew, not one gay man or woman, not one Arab citizen, not one um traditional or conservative or reform Jew who is in any more danger this morning than they were last month. Things are vibrant, things are working, and civil liberties in Israel are ultimately always protected. I could not be prouder of where, you know, of where I live, of where I chose to live, okay? Um, getting off of politics for one moment, I don't want you to think that I'm morbid, but I realize that I talk a lot about death. I think it's, I find it fascinating. It's interesting. It is a fact. What do they say? The only things that are, uh, that are certain are taxes and death. And I'm not so certain about taxes. I don't know. But, um, they say one thing about life, no one's getting out alive. Anyway, um, this was an article came across um, in Neuroscience Psychology magazine. Uh, just was a, came out really just the other day. Oh, by the way, let me wish a happy birthday to my mother. Happy birthday, Irma. Happy 94th. Stay healthy. Stay strong. Stay filled with humor and stay, stay tough. Okay, back to 
Lucid Dying is the name of this article, and patients recall death experiences during CPR. Now, I know a lot of us have read those people, people dying and sort of in that afterlife, and they come back, and they all talk about the white tunnel and seeing people. But this is very interesting. It comes from a scientific journal. One in five people who receive CPR report lucid experiences of death while they're seemingly unconscious and on the brink. Um, these lucid experiences appear to be different, different from hallucinations, dreams, illusions, and delusions. And researchers have found that during these experiences, this is the fascinating part to me, the brain has a heightened activity and markers for lucidity, suggesting that there is a the human sense of self, like other biological functions, does not stop actually around the time of death. Um, one in five people who survive CPR, you know, cardiopulmonary uh, resuscitation, they often have the same experience that while they were unconscious. Anyway, this was led by a group of researchers at the NYU Grossman School involving lots of men and women. And so the survivors reported having unique lucid experiences, including a perception of separation from the body, observing events without pain or distress, and meaningful evaluation of life, including actions, intentions, thoughts towards others. I find this fascinating because it also, I remember, I don't know if I spoke about it on the show, um, there was a, a hospice nurse who spoke about the clarity of those that are about to move on into the next realm, the, the sense of great comfort and clarity as they see not just people from their lives, but they actually see pets, beloved pets who have passed on. And the article goes on to finish and says that um, the recalled experiences, anyway, there's a consistency in all of these reports. And the results offer evidence, according to the writers, that while on the brink of death and in a coma, people undergo a unique inner conscious experience, including awareness without distress. Um, these, these heightened brain activity, uh, together with similar stories of, as I mentioned, these recalled death experiences suggest that the human sense of self and consciousness, much like other biological body functions, may not stop at the time of death. And so it should be considered um, a very unique experience and not at all scary, something that I think could bring great calm to a lot of people. I don't know. When we come back, I want you to think about if your parent looked at you and said, we are no longer safe here. Let's go. How would you react? The words, we are no longer safe, is being uttered all around the world in Jewish communities. Let's talk a little bit about that when we come back on the other side.
And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I feel very happy here. This my God, I feel that connectedness. Are you feeling it too? Um, usually we launch right into the Devar Torah portion here, but I feel that I would be remiss if I did not say, mention, share, opine. We count on our parents. Um, those of us who grew up in healthy, near healthy, almost healthy, ultra healthy, right wing healthy families. <laughs> okay. What is ultra, ultra orthodox, ultra orthodox right wing families. Those of us, you know, I remember they say that children don't have a concept of death. I seem to remember it until about the ages of five to seven. You have to be very careful how you introduce it. Every kid thinks they're going to live forever. We're here. Let the world spin, baby. I've arrived. And then later, slowly, you know, they look. I remember feeling great rage. I was a very young girl. And I looked at my my beloved father, who I absolutely adored. And I felt that he had conned me. I mean, since when was he so mortal? I saw my father as omnipotent. And this is clearly, I mean, it, it seems not to be a uh, an unusual sense in relatively healthy families, which my family was, in hindsight, relatively healthy. So if a beloved, respected parent were to say to you, children, wife, husband, we are no longer safe here, what would the familial response be? We have to go. Our We have to be safe. So this line jumped out at me. I just read an article. I cannot tell you where I read this article. It might have been Times of Israel. I, I know, you know what? Don't quote me. I'd have to look it up. So if you want to know and write to me, I'll find the source. But the German Jewish leader of the uh, community, his name is, I'm going to send this, spell, say this wrong, Semen Gorelick. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But Semen Gorelick says, urges, He's the leader of the Jewish community. He has announced that he is making Aliyah because he announced in a blistering public letter that for German Jews, he's begging them, follow suit. The rise of anti-Semitism is unstoppable. And as he says, I'm going to Israel and I recommend everyone who professes Judaism to leave this country as soon as possible. Notice he didn't say who professes Orthodox Judaism. He says, if you say that you're a Jew, get the hell out. Um, He was absolutely livid. And usually it's the Jewish community leaders that defend life in the community that they listen in. And we know the American Jewish Congress, I have very strong opinions about um, their posturing on behalf of American Jewry. And I get it. I get it. Please don't bombard me with letters. But here he is in saying, I don't want to live in a country whose president um, lays a wreath at the grave of the murderer, terrorist, and anti-Semite Yasser Arafat. Anyway, if our father says it is time to go and picks you up and moves you out, you have a responsible father or mother or Rebbe or teacher. But to sit and say, it is no longer safe here, and wring your hands and hope for the best, 
is in this host's opinion, a denial of God. We are given the histadlus, the, the, the demand of histadlus, doing our effort, doing what we are supposed to do. And as we go into the Devar Torah section, you're going to see just how much that means in terms of our father, Avraham, doing what he is expected to do instead of wringing his hands and saying, I hope it gets better. When you look around, don't look with one eye open, open both, sit and say, it is not safe here. My friends, you have a vibrant democracy smack dab in the Middle East waiting for you, no matter what your political bend is. Okay? So understand the future of your children, the future of your grandchildren, the future of your connection to Judaism might be calling to the forefront at this very moment. Are we heeding the call or are we wringing our hands and saying, things turn around. I'm sure it will be all right. Hishtadlut, your obligation to do what you are assigned to do. Okay. Ha! Huh. Got that out. Um, gee, was that, is that a new slant for Andrea? Not so much. Okay. So, um, this week's Parsha, this week's Torah portion is uh, Vayera. And we're knee deep. We're knee deep in the story of Avraham Avinu, our father. And Rabbi Hirsch, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, if you want to look it up, but Rabbi Hirsch comments on the words in the Parsha, and I'm going to say it in Hebrew, the portion, Betoch Ha'ir. In the midst of the city. And we all know this, this, that, that Avraham, he, he grapples with God. And he says, don't destroy the city of Sodom. If I can find 100 righteous people, if I can find 80 righteous people, if I can find 70 righteous people. Anyway, and he uses the word ha'ir in the city, in the midst of the city. He doesn't say ba'ir, in the city. Batoch, inside. And Rabbi Hirsch is maintaining that Avraham... He didn't ask compassion for the sake of 50 righteous men who just happen to dwell in the city. Rather, this prayer was for the 50 righteous men who lived in the midst of Sodom's depravity, who did not withdraw into their own cocoons, thinking that they have done enough if they save themselves and just keep their households righteous. Avraham prayed for the men in the midst of the city who were involved in the lives of the inhabitants. So I was just thinking that this might be a good, good fodder for discussion at your Shabbos tables. What are the requirements? What is the hishtadlut that we're supposed to be involved in when it comes to matters um, of connection to our fellow human beings? Should we get involved or is there... Um, some kind of righteousness in remaining in a personal cocoon. Okay, from the archives of my favorite Rabbi Beryl Wine, Rabbi Wine talks about how Hashem appears to Avraham at certainly a very strange time. Last week we talked about hospitality, uh, not hospitality, visiting the sick. Remember last week we talked about the students of Rabbi Akiva. I'm doing this very off the cuff. I don't have my notes in front of me, but where it says that that to not visit someone sick. The students were chastised by Rabbi Akiva and said to not visit someone 
who is ill because somehow socially, societally, spiritually, intellectually they are beneath you is tantamount to hastening their deaths. So here we have the Lord appearing to Avraham at a very strange time. So Avraham is convalescing from just having been circumcised, a man, very, very old man. The fact that he even survived such a brutal surgery is a, a miracle. Equally miraculous is that the day is so hot. It is high noon. And yet what is Avraham doing? He's looking for visitors. He's looking for company. He's sitting at the entrance to his tent, I believe, under an olive tree. And even though he sees these three strangers and he invites them in, Hashem interrupts this happening just then um, by appearing to Avraham. And Avraham now is at a conflict. Oh, my gosh, you have three strangers in front of you and you have God in the audience. Where am I going to give precedence? So the rabbis kind of kind of um, come to the opinion that Avraham's behavior and greeting and, ho and hosting human guests takes even precedence over communicating with the divine spirit. The fact that this kind of juxtaposition of events occurs at the same time, here is the lesson in faith and in life itself. Hashem appears to people at strange, unpredictable times. Those of us who are immersed in Torah study, those of us who learn in a chavrusa, a, a brotherhood of learning with a group of others, we come across these stories all the time. To some people, Hashem appears in times of terrible sickness, um, really in times of great bleak moments. To others, it's at these moments of joy, moments of success. They feel God's presence. Some actually have this glimpse of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, and the beauty and the complexity of nature, while others find it over a blot of Gemara, a page in the Gemara in the halls of study, in the yeshivas. All of us are different. We all have different outlooks. We all have different backgrounds. Hashem customizes his appearance to each one of us to fit our unique circumstances. But what is the unifying factor? We have to be porous. We have to be receptive. We have to be ready to be visited, so to say by God. People experience their own sense of spirituality and connection to Hashem differently and in different moments. There are some who feel the presence of God and become deeply, deeply frightened and others feel imbued with confidence. God appears to Avraham at this moment and um, the tent of Avraham and Sarah, you know, they come in, these are Bedouin tents covered in dust. And yet, when the guests leave, they are refreshed. They are as radiant as angels. It's in the service of others and the care for the needs of others that Hashem appears in the tent of Avraham and Sarah. Every one of us, every one of us has traits and a nature that define us. Just as chesed, goodness, 
kindness, caring for others. This is the definition of Abraham and Sarah. We are also defined by our concerns, our habits, our behavior. It's in this background that Hashem appears to each one of us individually if we're open to the visit, to the experience, to the recognition of God in our presence. Rabbi Wine concludes in this particular discussion. He tells us about the prophet Yirmiyahu, and he teaches us that in times of trouble and sickness, the Lord, the Lord appears to us in quotes from afar, close quotes, but still he appears to us. The great rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk was asked, where can one find God? And he answered, in his typical, typically very direct fashion, wherever one is willing to allow him to enter. The performance, performing acts of Torah and goodness, the bending of our traits and will towards service and concern for others, these are the means by which we will glimpse the divine presence within ourselves and in our homes, in health, in contentment, and indeed, in peace. To get very, very deep, very deep, <laughs> as deep as I can go, but to get very deep into this Parsha, um, I want to go over these words. It's always very problematic. The Akedat, the Akedah, the Akedah, which is actually the binding of Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. Very problematic for a lot of us. To just be a puppet, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's fun, it's nice, it's not really Judaism. We do the mitzvot. We're commanded to do the mitzvot. It's not a menu. Take one from column A, two from column B. And if you like it, and later on you get it, you can order something from column D. It doesn't work like that. We're commanded to observe the mitzvot. If we come to a deeper understanding, a more textured appreciation of the rationale, perhaps behind the mitzvah, well, lucky, lucky us. But it doesn't absolve us a lack of understanding from the obligation to observe. So here the Torah says the words, and I'm transcri- uh, trans- translating, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been here too long. Okay. Take your son, your only one, whom you love, Yitzchak, and go to the land of Moriah. Bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains, which I will indicate to you. And we recite this chapter every morning during the uh, um, Birkosa Shachar, the preliminary morning prayers that we say before the actual morning starts. So in addition, it's this Torah reading for the High Holy Days, uh, Rosh Hashanah. We read the same thing. But you know what? We think we're familiar with it. This is the story of the Akedat, the binding of Yitzchak. But there are a lot of issues that kind of require discussion. I have a hard time with it. I'm admitting it. I'm sharing it with you. Um, why this test at all? God knows man's innermost thoughts and character. Why should he have to resort to testing his human creations? And especially of all of them, Avraham. Also, if no one else but Avraham and Yitzchak are on Har Moriah, Mount Moriah, why should anyone believe that Avraham would take his own son's life? 
So the test of the Akeda, Avraham's 10th and final one, come on. <laughs> no doubt it's the hardest one of them all. We have to ask ourselves really the question? Why is he not that? Listen, God, I did it all. This is too much. It would have been easier, for example, for Avraham to sacrifice himself. You know, he was ready to do so in Nimrod's furnace. Sacrifice his own son. Plus, you know, in the case of the furnace, we're given no insight into Avraham's emotional state of mind. Whereas in this story, the Akedah, we see the deliberate, the step-by-step -step planning and eager execution, um, the actions indicative of a purely rational individual, not somebody who's maddened by religious zeal. The fact that it was performed three days after the commandment was received, it also shows that proper thought and careful consideration was given to this heavenly command. Wouldn't it have been more Avraham-ish if he had rushed and carried out the divine order immediately? Well, you know, we could say that his actions were a result of fear, confusion, religious fervor, passion. This wasn't the case. As his meticulous concern for each and every detail showed his love and reverence of Hashem. At the end of this test, what happens? God says to Avraham, now I know Listen to the words. Now I know that you fear Elohim. In this reference to knowledge, it's given by many as the reason for this last test of Avraham. As I, as I mentioned, God knows our innermost thoughts and feelings. What was the real purpose of this? All of the commentators agree. Here's a good word for you, meforshim. That's the word for the commentators. Write that down three times fast. They agree that the test was not for the benefit of the one giving it. God doesn't need, he doesn't need our tests. He doesn't need our brachas, our blessings. It's for us. It's said in Tehillim, the Psalms, Hashem will test the righteous. This Forno points a, makes a very simple, very profound explanation at this very point, testing the righteous. As we learn in um, the book of Genesis, I'm doing a lot of translation here. One of the main reasons for man's existence, if not the main reason, is to imitate our creator. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In the Akedah. Hashem is not testing Avraham to see whether or not he's going to sacrifice Yitzchak. Rather, he's drawing forth the potential powers of faith and trust, which were latent in Avraham and bringing them into reality. By doing this, man, us, you, me, we're imitating Hashem. We're being given an opportunity to manifest our self through actual deeds and not merely potential. The Sforno continues by saying that the carrying out of a deed from the potential to the actual is a step in man's elevation, that his image, so to speak, becomes like Hashem, who transforms his goal from potential into action. The Rambam in the book uh, Guide to the Perplexed 
also sees the Akedah as a test for the benefit of the one being tested. But he emphasizes, he stresses that the actual purpose was to publicize Avraham's greatness among the nations of the world so that they too would all be aware of his righteousness. In fact, he explains the word Yadati, I know, as Hodati, I have let known. In other words, God has informed and has publicized to all of the nations of the world exactly how great a tzaddik, how righteous was Avraham. Um, Rabbi Bachia follows suit and says that the test of the Akedah was to publicize among the nations how great is the duty to fear and love Hashem. And going down our list of commentators and great um, voices on the Parsha, the Sadia Gaon, who preceded all of these commentators, he refers to these same ideas when he says that the word Nisa, test, it, it kind of um, suggests that Hashem wished to demonstrate Avraham's righteousness to mankind. The Ibn Ezra cites that the Sadiqa owns explanation, seems to take issue, now listen closely, seems to take issue with the entire concept of the purpose of the test being to publicize the event. This, the Ibn Ezra maintains, was not the Gaon aware that when Avraham was prepared to sacrifice his son, no one was present, not even his servant? The commentator, Akedat Yitzchak, answers this criticism by holding that since this trial was narrated in the Torah, it is as if the trial took place in the presence of every Jew, past, present, and future. The Abarbanel agrees with uh, this and explains that the word Nisa is derived from the word Nis, which is a sign, because this great action was a sign for all the world to see, and like a mighty banner for all the nations of the world to emulate every one of us listening in. If it is in the Torah, it is true. In our times today, I would have to say that it's kind of unfortunate that there's no one who deserves the merit of the test on a level of Avraham. However, it's very important that we realize that even in our own lives, any trials which we face can have deep ramifications. And all of us listening in do face trials. None of us knows what's going on in the heart or the lives of the man or woman sitting next to us. We know that these trials are not for God's benefit. They're for our own benefit and perhaps for the benefit of those around us. It's important to remember that no matter how grave or how trivial each test might seem, we must always conduct ourselves as if we were Avraham. And remember too, that not only the eyes, that not only in the eyes of God, but the eyes of the world are upon each and every one of us. I wish you a Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? 
At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 